I'd like to welcome Dr. Lee Turner to the Grace Fellowship International podcast today. And Leah had the joy of meeting you in person a couple of years ago in Arizona. I was there for a, a seminar, and since we had been in touch over the years, it was nice to finally meet you in person. I've used Grace Discipleship course and uh, other books of yours, and uh, I'm glad we could meet for lunch that day. Why don't you share with us, uh, Lee, about your um, walk with the Lord over the years? Uh, I thought we'd hear about your spiritual journey and then talk about your ministry experiences, and then also like to ask about the books you've written uh, and um, what led to the books. And uh, we're so grateful at Grace Fellowship International that you entrusted your literature ministry to us about already been about five or six years ago to be a steward of your publications, so it's a joy to network with you that way. Yeah, well, Grace Fellowship's been a part of uh, my learning process, so it's uh, great to, you know, partner with you that way. Yeah, well, okay. Well, I think maybe I I need to start back pretty early. Uh, My mother died when I was about six years old, and uh, she had uh, written a letter that I couldn't read until I was nine, where she encouraged me to trust Christ, my personal Savior. But uh, things kind of went off the tracks in the sense that uh, my father was married five times. And uh, mm. that resulted in my uh, sister and I uh, staying, being shuttled really from relative to relative, probably 10 or 12 different ones. And they're wonderful people, all of them. And, uh, we're grateful for that. However, nothing takes the place of uh, a sound, uh, solid uh, home where you have both parents and all. Mm-hmm. So uh, this process just uh, didn't give me much self-image. And so I uh, not having a normal family. And so uh, by the time I got to high school, I was pretty much on my own. And uh, I would usually have a place to live, but I don't know how many different jobs I had, uh, everything from store jobs, delivery, whatnot, uh, to pay my own uh, clothing and all my necessities that I had. And so I uh, didn't uh, have any sense of fulfillment or self-image. And uh, the... uh, soon as I could, I joined the military. I served as a paratrooper in uh, Japan uh, at the end of the world, the world War II, and that was the Army the occup- Occupation. And uh, <clears throat> I uh, found that uh, when I got back home, I had an opportunity after trying many jobs of uh, connecting with Sears, and I really felt at home in there. They gave me the opportunity to <clears throat> really excel, and I I worked hard. I won about every sales contest that uh, there was, and I was put on what they call a reserve group. It's a uh, training process for store managers and so forth. And I was told that I was the youngest one they knew of that was ever put on that group uh, that young. And so that gave the opportunity to uh, excel, and I was able to buy new cars and clothes and all those things that I thought would, would bring fulfillment. I know I later read uh, an item where someone said a lot of these celebrities, the people who become famous, they climb the top of the mountain and they get up there and they find there's nothing there. And uh, that was kind of my experience. It, it seemed that these things I thought would give me a sense of fulfillment 
uh, really <clears throat> left me empty. They they didn't. Now, fortunately, I uh, <clears throat> well. By the way, I I found out later that it's kind of a defense mechanism, I guess, that if you don't uh, know who you are and your identity and your you rest in that, then you have these external mechanisms, whether it's a doctor's stethoscope, education, money, whatever. And people will tend to look at that external picture rather than internal, because you know if they see you as you see yourself, then they wouldn't have much to do with you. And uh, so fortunately, the Lord uh, allowed me to hire a young man who moved from Anderson, Indiana, Indiana to Kokomo, where I was located. And I hired him and he'd uh, just been a new Christian and he wanted to make a complete new break, so he moved to start new. And uh, there's something genuine, and but he just couldn't quite clarify what it meant to become a Christian. So I uh, had him make an appointment with his pastor, and it was a very fortunate thing because it was uh, John, Dr. John Valio, who later pastored a large church, and he later was uh, uh, the pastor of uh, Bible College up in. Salem, Oregon, where I was also trustee mm -hmm. later. But mm -hmm. uh, that uh, changed my life in the degree that I knew Christ, and I was excited about that. But still, this identity problem, this sense of not being happy with who I was, not feeling fulfilled, was still there. But uh, I was promoted and transferred to a, a new store that had just been built in Fort Wayne, Indiana, they called it an A store. And uh, I was very active there in all kinds of Christian service and, and, and witnessing. And outside of the, the uh, Christian area too, I was I helped teach Dale Carnegie courses as an assistant, things like that. Mm -hmm. But uh, the uh, I got so engrossed that I even started taking Moody uh, correspondence courses and build a library and uh, the, uh, but the burden for the ministry just kept growing. So I uh, resigned there from Sears and I attended Grace Theological Seminary at Winona Lake, where I got my uh, uh, main degree. And uh, while I was there, I started a new church, uh, started with a few people and built a building and while I was still in seminary. It was called Tri Lakes Baptist Church. And uh, after about four years, I was invited to uh, go and start the development department at uh, Cenerville College. Uh, the, I was called the director of development. It was changed later to the vice president of development. And uh, mm -hmm. Cedarville then later became a university and it's a Christian university with about, I think they have about 4,000 uh, students there, mm -hmm. and uh, I was there uh, 16 years, and of course, wow. I preached a lot on Sundays and so forth, but uh, I found the administrative work was uh, getting heavier all the time. I, I had four different areas that I covered. I had uh, uh, student recruitment, uh, development, uh, public relations, and uh, alumni. And so you spend a lot of time in administrative uh, in conferences, things like that. So I just had a longing to get back in the ministry. 
So in 1980, I uh, accepted a pastor at the Valley of the Sun Baptist Church here in uh, Phoenix, and uh, I uh, we had pretty good growth to begin with, but I didn't realize uh, that I had a hardcore of of legalists there who uh, weren't they were happy if the church grew, but they wanted to have control of everything. And uh, there wasn't that freedom. If the Lord was doing something, uh, then it seemed like they were opposed to it. And anyway, it uh, it got to the place to where there was a came to a church uh, split. And uh, through this whole process, though, I have to say that it probably gave me as deep understanding of the difference between legalism and grace as I would ever get in any other situation. The fact is, uh, I came to the place to where the night that they were going to vote on whether to uh, get rid of me or not, I stood in front of that church and I said to myself, Lord, if this is Christianity, I don't want any part of it. My additional uh, understanding grace was limited at that time. I'd been motivated by uh, reading Keswick-type literature and later, uh, some of the more current men, Dr. Charles Solomon, Steve McVeigh, Bill Gillum, those type of fellows. So I had some understanding of it, but this in-your-face uh, uh, application to it in the church was really uh, uh, sh shaking. And as a result of uh, this process, I wrote what I call the church philosophy. Now, about every church has a church constitution, the boilerplate, what you believe, how you operate, and so forth. But this church philosophy was to show how grace can be applied in a local church. And uh, these principles then I uh, started teaching in a uh, uh, Sunday school class that I taught, which I called the uh, uh, discovery class. And I also encouraged all new people to take the Grace Discipleship course. And uh, for nine years after this church split and these things were implemented, we had a literal honeymoon. It was just a wonderful love relationship between pastor and mm -hmm. people. Fact is one interesting uh, item. My wife was in the front of the church one time and one of our young ladies' mother was visiting and uh, so my, the young lady introduced my wife to her mother, and her mother said, oh, you must know all the gossip. And my wife, Mary, said, no, I don't know of any. And the uh, daughter interrupted very strongly and said, that's right, mother, there isn't any. And uh, that God. was pretty, pretty accurate uh, to the atmosphere that Grace had, had developed. Mm -hmm. Give you an idea, uh, one night, uh, the, my pastor, uh, associate pastor, David Cornejo, and I were invited over to the fellowship hall after the evening service. And uh, we went in there. It was all decorated just like you would a banquet or something, all the trimmings. And it was an thank you, a thank you uh, thing. And they mm -hmm. also gave us a reservation to the Princess Hotel, which is a fancy resort here in Phoenix. And and $125 each is fun money. So that was mm. kind of the kind of atmosphere that we had. 
Now, my conviction uh, of permeating the local church with grace led me to author the book, Understanding Grace and How to Implement It in the Local Church, because I would have pastors from time to time would ask, you know, how do you do this? Of course, I tell them you go out and start a new church and win some people to Christ and start from scratch. It's a lot easier. But at any rate, uh, I might mention the church discipleship, I mean, the uh, Grace Discipleship course was really an evolving out of experimental use in our ministry. What I would do if I was meeting with someone and trying to explain the grace message, uh, I would have notes and I would say, well, I don't want to invent this every time. So I'd write chapter one and then as time went on, I'd write another chapter. At the same process, other people were taking folks through this and uh, I think I counted 27 individuals one time that were going through the course. And uh, th- this process of evolution of it developing gradually gave us an opportunity to make any corrections or clarify things that didn't seem to be mm. clear. So as a result, uh, we, over the years, really didn't have uh, any real comments coming back. Now, most books... Uh, uh, are written in a standard form, and some of them will have at the end of a chapter questions that uh, can be for discussion, and that's fine. However, I found that by having a narration that carried the people through the theme of each chapter was better, and then instead of just flat out telling them the, the verse and explaining it, have them look up the scriptures and discuss it, ask questions. If it's a group, they can share experiences or whatnot. And uh, that got them beyond the place of just the mind. It got them to a place of application to where they were able to really integrate it into into the life. And I felt that was the most effective uh, method. And, let, me, uh, let me jump here for a minute, uh, Lee, and mention yeah. that... Um, there are a number of inductive Bible studies that our listeners may have used, let's say, uh, on the book of Ephesians and um, inductive Bible study ministries have written discussion questions, and they're more based on biblical text, which is fine. What's unique about Grace Discipleship Course is the narrative you just described um, carries the teaching along, but the it's an inductive topical study, so their their understanding about a theme like identity or grace or prayer, but you're leading them along. You're you're then pointing them to a scripture. They're looking it up. They're writing it in. So it's an inductive um, participation learning. So I've used it one-to-one. I've used it in small groups. Just today, I was at a recovery ministry uh, in our area uh, to offer them some free literature. And um, we mentioned the Grace Discipleship course. Come to find out the leader of um, the ministry in another town has used Grace to Salvage, of course, in the past. And so uh, it's been a very popular resource for recovery ministries and those that want to convey a Grace Discipleship approach um, because it really teaches itself as the Holy Spirit leads, doesn't it? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, one one uh, thing I think that is so important here, I think it was uh, uh, Lawrence Crabb, Jr., 
who said uh, the trouble with most people in church is they bump into each other's bubbles. And I thought that's a good illustration about how we act like a Christian. And we know, you know, the legalistic list of things you do do and don't do and so forth. And to get those protective bubbles to get by that is the problem. Well, when you have uh, particularly a small group and you're going through a give and take thing where people are free to ask questions, to, to share experiences and so forth, uh, you have an atmosphere of grace, which is a fertile ground for them really applying it to the, to their lives. Uh, it, what it does, it allows them to drop their protective defenses. And uh, most people, they don't know they have these defense mechanisms. Uh, but uh, when they understand that I'm not going to be judged or criticized, I'm going to be encouraged and helped and, and I'm going to grow, that gives them the freedom then to be honest, and that's what God wants. He wants He wants us to be honest. Mm-hmm. And uh, for instance, I had one class I was teaching, and this fellow he was very successful. He sold uh, uh, I don't know shares, timeshares, and and he was we we just thought he was a real sharp Christian. And all of a sudden he said, "I'm an alcoholic." Well, everyone looked at him in shock, disbelief. And uh, we were able, of course, to take him for where he was, to where he, where he should be. But that would never happen in an average Sunday school class or something like that. And uh, so that, that, to me, is the power of the grace atmosphere. And, and for instance, in our church, you know, if someone would stand up and make some stupid remark, I doubt if someone else would have shot them down. They would have smiled knowingly that this poor person needs, <laughs> needs some information here. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. so that, that to me is the, is, is something you just can't, you can't buy, you can't produce in any legalistic setting. It has to be people who understand grace and are living it mm-hmm. and teaching it. Now, uh, uh, there was a, there came a time where I had bypass surgery and prostate cancer right back to back. So I retired from the uh, the pastor and uh, I uh, started a 501c3 uh, profit uh, called Grace Discipleship Ministries. You've already mentioned I have given all the uh, uh, copyrights to Grace Fellowship uh, as far as the uh, books and all because I'm 92 and uh, after uh, uh, one heart attack, a couple pacemakers, I know that there's just limited bailing wire and uh, duct tape that can hold me together. So we've made that uh, arrangement. Well, Lee, you mentioned the crisis um, with uh, legalism versus grace in the church and how, praise the Lord, you and your wife weathered that storm. For instance, I had it. A young uh, youth director who is just doing the gangbusters. He's just uh, fantastic with young people. And I got most of the friction from some of the deacons because they were legalists and they, they didn't want him doing something, the Lord doing mm. something that they didn't mm. have absolute, you know, mm. control. And uh, so it was a process of, I think, preaching grace and implementing it in the church that brought this legalistic thing to a head um the the crisis happened uh, and you mentioned writing a philosophy 
of church ministry. That sounds like your book, Understanding Grace. Uh, There's a merging of several things there. But what really happened, I I did uh, my doctoral work at uh, California Graduate School of Theology, and uh, the heavy lifting of reading books and all of that came through that. And later it was uh, incorporated in understanding grace and how to implement it in your life in church. And that was also a part of the encouragement class, well, of the uh, church philosophy uh, that that was a companion part to our church, uh, to our uh, constitution. And it was also what was taught in the uh, encouragement class, which is a Sunday school class where I tried to get new people, you know, uh, mm. to go through that. And then the end result is what is now published. Well, praise the Lord for your doctoral work. Um, the Understanding Grace book is uh, being translated into Portuguese uh, to help pastors there um, through the networking of the Fermata ministry that we've been associated with over the years. We're happy about that. And also there's a volume two, uh, which some of our listeners may be aware of, uh, the same 12-chapter fill-in-the-blank inductive topical discipleship study um, and how did the advanced course come about it was it an ongoing process of you and your team continuing to disciple and then compiling a volume two yeah you know as a as an experienced counselor you'd probably be interested in this little aside theron messer was uh with uh chuck in denver and uh fact is when uh, race discipleship was uh put in print. Chuck sent him down. He spent a couple of days with me down here and we kicked things around. But uh, later, in, uh, I was guess this is up Demer and having a meal with uh, Chuck and uh, Theron. And uh, I don't know how the subject came up, but anyway, <clears throat> I don't know the exact words, but uh, what Messner was saying, okay, once you they understand grace and they hit these big stone walls, you know, the, the death of someone and uh, trials and problems and these heavy things. What do you do about that? Well, that got me thinking, you know, well, that's true, you know, that some of these things can really shake us to a foundation. So that's where I developed the advanced, which dealt with trials and death and (laughs) all those heavy Mm -hmm. subjects, will of God. And uh, Mm -hmm. that's how that came about. It was uh, and I encouraged in the beginning of it that they should go through uh, the Grace Discipleship course first so they have a foundation of grace, and then they get into these heavier topics. Well, I was talking to my associate, John Norman, uh, about the Advanced Grace Discipleship course and th- those meaningful uh, topics, especially as we've been through 2020 with COVID and, and all the political and ethnic turmoil and, and everything that's going on. That sounds uh, very relevant uh, to continue on to go through those topics of, of perseverance and so forth from a grace perspective. Um, Lee, yeah. could you also tell us about the other books you've written? We, uh, we've we been using the book Discover Your Riches in Christ uh, in small group ministry here. How did, how did that book come about? Well, you know, that was one of my later books, and I, I just thought, you know, the, 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 these things are so out of this world. I got on the front of it, you know, they're out of this world. Mm-hmm. That that people 
if you just took an average person and you told them all the things that we have in Christ, the moment we're saved, they never believe it. It's just unbelievable. And I thought, well, why not put these all together? And and you did a good job introducing the book of gems and uh, mining these gems in God's grace mine. And that's literally what motivated is to pull them together in one volume so that we could just be blown away with all of the different things that we have in Christ. And that's how that came about. It's uh, so, so encouraging as you've organized uh, the, the blessings in those 10 chapters. And we're grateful for that contribution. It, uh, much of what we do at Grace Fellowship has kind of a clinical orientation, helping people get unstuck from life-controlling problems through the message of the cross, and that's that's certainly valid. Discovery of Riches in Christ, however, is more of a straightforward devotional presentation of these marvelous topics. So great to have various tools in the toolkit. Yes, that's right. Yes, sir. And you have a book on, on emotions, and how did that come about? Yes, well... You know, I think that book, Emotions, <laughs> is so uh, germane to, it's, it's so important today, we have a world that runs on emotions. The uh, mm-hmm. fact is, uh, someone said, we make decisions with our emotions. And that's certainly true, because what is going on now in the, what they call a postmodern age is words don't mean anything. Uh, you say something, and it's the way you say it has more power than what you say. It, it's yeah. kind of like that teacher went in the classroom, and there was just chaos. The kids were running around yelling and everything else. And he pounded his foot, uh, fist on the desk, and he yelled real loud, I demand pandemonium. And immediately there was silence. Well, <laughs> that, that's, that's, that's what's going on in the world now about Many of these politicians, all they do is yell and it's motion, and the people, it, it never goes through the brain. It's There's no truth. There's no reason. And so yeah. to me, that book on emotions explaining how God gives you, gives you a, a thinker, a mind, a, a chooser, the will, and a thinker, I mean, a, a feeler, the emotions is because God intended it to start in the mind. Let this, right. the mind of Christ be in you. And we'll make the right decisions and we'll have the right emotions. But today, the, the political realm is a good example of that. <laughs> there are people yelling lies and things. And as long as they yell it loud enough and, and whatnot and have the right emotion, people don't bother to think it through. They just accept it. So uh, at any rate, that, I don't know that was going on when I wrote it, but uh, I just thought today the greatest need we have is for truth. And uh, I I like to put it this way. The problem today is we have no point of reference to absolutes. And Mm -hmm. that's the word of God. God is the lawgiver. He's the one that gives truth. And if we lose that, which we have in the schools and all, then our, our emotions are going to be the thing that rules us. And uh, you just don't get people to reason truth. And the reason is they don't have any point of reference. Mm-hmm. That's such an important observation, Lee. It reminds me of the idea of 
of a, a compass is not going to have any value unless there's a true north. There's a there's that reference point, and then you can discern where you are and uh, where where north, south, east, and west is in terms of your direction. So without that, then like you say, it's whoever shouts the loudest and whatever emotional uh, manipulation uh, is done seems to be um, what uh, is in the public square. But we need to be truth-based, don't we? Because it's the truth of our Lord that sets us free. That's right. And you know, but you can take that in anything, any ball game, any, you know, Robert's rules of orders. There isn't anything you do in this life, but what there aren't rules of some kind, you know. And uh, right. it's it, so they don't even think about that, you know, doing things that are just emotional. And of course, uh, when you come down to simple things, that's that's one of the great, uh, you know, Moses said he chose to suffer affliction with the people of God, then enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Well, he knew that sin was fun, and but it's for a season. And uh, but that's that's true that the emotions play a big part in all of the, you know, uh, lack of morality and so forth. Some of us compare yeah. the difference between a, a thermometer and a, and a thermostat. We can picture a thermometer, the old fashioned ones anyway, the mercury goes up and down. Uh, the numbers go up and down based on, uh, on the circumstances upon the condition of the environment. Whereas a thermostat, there's a reference point once again. Um, and, uh, the the truth of your books lead because they're Christ-centered and biblical. Um, they are a reference point, um, an unchanging, a timeless one, and uh, they are that thermostat of reminding people um, that God's truth and the words of Psalm 100 endures to all generations. Yeah. So uh, these books are are extremely important and significant in the age in which we live. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the work you've done uh, in the. Uh, Taking taking charge of them and you know and getting them out there because uh, yeah the greatest blessing I have I I, I think it was uh, Norman who said that 15 years ago he went through the Great Discipleship Course that's a great blessing to me think 15 years ago something happened that I had a part in and uh, so that's that's one of the greatest blessings you and I can have is uh, a changed life you know that uh, we had a part in. And Lee, um, spiritual gifts is another topic you've written about, and that's another aspect of grace living in community, isn't it? Yes. Uh, let, let, me, let me just say this about that. That is, uh, I, I really spend a lot of time on that because that's a very controversial area, and there can get be a lot of heat arise there without really thinking it through. But my uh, first exposure to that was uh, Dave. Uh, Hawking, Dave Hawking, he was a seminary friend of mine, a student. We were students together at Grace Seminary, and uh, he had a large church in California. You've probably heard of Dave Hawking. Yes. But yes. he did quite a study on that. And and anyway, I got on this thing of gifts, and, and I realized that that is something that is really tied into grace because <laughs> the right. Holy Spirit gives gifts according to how, what he thinks is right and it, and and it, my whole thought about that in the understanding grace book we show how that it's not a, a a religion it's a relationship it's not an organization it's it's a it's an organism and so right. if everyone listens to the head 
and the Holy Spirit gives them different gifts, then you're going to have all the gifts necessary in the church to accomplish the work. The problem is, is getting everyone on the same page and understanding grace to where they surrender and allow the Spirit to do that, uh, that make that connection. But when you have that, you automatically have evangelism. I mean, if you have a church that's living in harmony, uh, evangelism is just almost automatic. You can't. I had. I, I used to teach, share this with you, and I'm not again. I I taught personal evangelism in college. I I taught personal evangelism in my church here in Phoenix. I quit teaching. You know why? I found that those people who really understood grace were winning more people than anyone else. I remember one girl raised in Columbia came from a wealthy family. She stood tears rolling down her cheeks and gave testimony how she led two Colombian businesswomen to the Lord, and she felt so unworthy to be used. And it's wow. such humility and, and just the beauty of God using her to do that. And mm-hmm. But she, she never really uh, had a plan of salvation or anything. She just couldn't be quiet about the Lord. Wow. And uh, so that, to me, is the connection between the gifts. And of course, I, I believe some of them aren't necessary today. And But I go into that in quite detail for that for that reason. Uh, if you take uh, understanding grace and how to implement it in your life in church and fully understand that, and then you jump to spiritual gifts, they fit. But if you don't understand the first mm-hmm. one, then spiritual gifts is just some uh, carnival type show we put on and it doesn't really have that uh, authentic spirit uh, led ring to it mm-hmm. so uh, our lord says follow me and i will make you fishers of men um, so christ-centered grace discipleship overflows organically into witnessing as you said that precious testimony of the colombian sister and likewise in the book understanding grace and implementing it in your local church um Biblical healthy church life uh, is going to use spiritual gifts um, in a way that respects the head and uh, is going to demonstrate agape love. As you remember, the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, is right in the context of the use of spiritual gifts. Um, So we sure appreciate, Lee, um, each one of these books that the Lord wrote through you and your team. Um, And it's a privilege to help steward them through the uh the kindle edition and the paperback edition and um courses we're developing around them and we just pray that god will continue to use uh, uh, these resources to encourage others to discover christ as their savior lord in their very life yes well i'm just uh, thrilled the work work you're doing and uh we'll continue to pray that you know god will give you grace and, and uh whatever strength you need to Keep on keeping on. Thanks, brother. If you were to um, speak to a pastor who might be listening to our conversation, the challenges facing the church now with all the uncertainties and changes uh, politically, economically, socially with COVID and things, what would be uh, one or two takeaways you would uh, advise them about in terms of Christ-centered pastoral ministry in these last days? Well, I, I think that the, the, the grace message is the answer because uh, when you look out at how, uh, you know, Paul, the Apostle Paul said, beware lest you devour one another. <laughs> mm. And 
that's that's what's happening. Our society's in chaos. And even yeah. people that don't mean it, they're developing an edge, you know. There's not that friendly <laughs> handshake and, and all of that. Well, to, to a pastor, pastor in the church, the greatest gift we can give to our people is to get them to understand grace because they're not going the people out there, the unsaved, they're not going to see too many uh, warm, soft, smiley, content faces, you know, plus the, the good news along with it. And uh, I, I just, they need, and people need rest. They need tranquility. They need peace right. and calm. And so to me, that's, that's all the more reason why that the, uh, the, the biblical uh, message of, of Christ, because I mean, I mean, you know, uh, we talk about the exchange life and, and if we really surrender and allow Christ to be our life, then we have his love, his joy, his peace. And that's really uh, all that needs to be done is just, uh, keep that in the focus, uh, the, the grace message. I, I just aim in that so much, uh, for the health and vitality of, uh, of the Christian leaders in local churches and, and small groups. And also, um, in our post-Christian society, young people are looking for genuineness, for reality, for something real to hold on to, and certainly um, grace discipleship and the experience of transformed lives uh, is the spiritual reality that they're looking for. Yes, that's right. Yeah, and going back to what I said about quit teaching evangelism in the local church, the people that were winning the souls were people that were just so uh, enthralled with who who they were in Christ that you can keep them quiet. It's like a, a bride getting married, you know. They just mm-hmm. wanted to tell everybody, and uh, that's what will happen if uh, they they understand this grace message. It'll flow out from the church through each individual, and uh, there'll be a difference. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? That's right. Yeah. Well, Finley said, if you get enough little circles of influence, you have revival. And you don't you don't necessarily start with some big thing. You just start getting these little Christians one at a time, and you get enough of those little circles of, of, of influence, then you have revival. Reminds me of a candlelight service at Christmas time, Lee, where one candlelight's the next, and then it multiplies. So as individual believers discover a Christ-centered life and their identity in him and living by grace and perhaps uh, disciple others one-to-one and then pulls into life groups. It's like a candlelighting service that uh, those circles of influence can bring a corporate revival and prayerfully even an awakening. That's a good, that's a good illustration. Well, the Lord bless and keep you and Mary. We sure appreciate your testimony and thank you for taking some time today to talk about uh, your spiritual journey and testimony and literature ministry. Well, my privilege, and we'll be much in prayer for your ministry, too. Well, thank you, Lee. The Lord bless and keep you all.